0: are you scared of this place? No, scared nothing here. It's just that, you know, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't. I guess you could say the Overlook Hotel here has something about it that's like shining. Is there something bad here?
1: Hey folks, welcome to Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 81, and in keeping with our scary Man Cave movie theme for October, we are talking about the great and fantastic Stanley Kubrick film called The Shining. This great movie stars the irrepressible Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Scatman Crumbs. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark I am not a dull boy. Slower.
2: Thanks, Steve. Hey, you know, near the last third of the movie, when Shelley Duvall is um, realizing that Jack has gone around the bend, I-, I just kept waiting for her brother, Admiral Akbar to <laughs> jump out and go, It's a trap!
1: <laughs> oh, man. That is, wow. <laughs> now that you mention it, <laughs> yeah?
2: She's got to be related to Admiral Ackbar.
1: It's it's actually it's not her face. It's her eyes.
2: Her eyes. Yeah.
1: She has got the most unique eyes. I think, other than Marty Feldman, and and, and she doesn't have the crazy eyes like him. They're just. It's the most prominent feature of her face.
2: If you had mated her eyes with Jack Nicholson's eyebrows, oh my god, that would be horrifying. (laughs) You would (laughs) create that would be a really scary movie in and of itself.
1: See, now that's something there. There you go. If they had have thrown that in there, that would have been, that would have been horrifying. Mm. Oh my gosh. All right, folks, you're, you're getting me and Mark tonight because unfortunately our other two very good and dear friends, Jeff Redrum Muncie and <laughs> Ken, get this axe out of my chest, Ronie, unfortunately are unable to attend tonight due to some prior engagements. Uh, so you just got Mark and I, but you know what? That's okay because we can handle this and we do it yep we can do it plus we yeah like i said i don't like to skip shows like i said that's why we've got we've got backup plans right you always have to have, have, to have reinforcements so if a couple of guys of the squad decide to go aol
2: going aol on me huh oh God, man, still I, using are you still using dial up
1: i think i better put this drink down
2: <laughs> all right all right folks so hey, like i said hey, Steve, real quick i just want to let you know i'm i'm wearing <laughs> a comfortable dog pig costume for this show,
1: I, you know, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, I'm like,
2: what the
1: hell was that? <laughs> yeah, that was that was bizarre. Don't even want to, I don't want to know what he was doing on his knees at the edge of the bed, but we'll, oh, sure, you do. We'll get there. Actually, I don't, but we'll get there. All right, folks, we're gonna be talking about The Shining. And for those of you who are either too young to know or just are completely incurious uh, about Stephen King. Books. This is the first movie that was I think based off of uh Pat and I think. It was based off of a Stephen King book. I just don't know if this was the first one, but I I'm willing to roll the dice and say yes it
2: is. Had to have been one of the one of the first. I mean other than this or maybe Christine, but I think this would have been Oh the first this one.
1: is this is well before Christine. Okay. Yeah, Christine I think was like well, maybe mid mid eighty mid eighties. Mid eighties. This is nineteen eighty. And uh uh, and to be honest with you, this movie does actually have a special place in my, uh, uh, in my nightmares because I was, uh, actually taken to the theater by my mom and dad, uh, because they wanted to see it. My dad with my dad, God rest his soul, huge Jack Nicholson fan. Loved the guy. Just thought he was probably the best actor ever. So they wanted to go see it. Didn't have anybody to sit there and watch me at the point. I was 13. I mean, I wasn't. You know, I mean I was still kind of a babe in the woods but not too bad. So they take me to see this the you know this movie and it was rated R so I could go in with a parent or guardian as they had What's that. Was it rated R?
2: Oh, oh, yes, this movie is rated R. Well, any more to get a PG-13. Uh
1: not with the F bombs. There's a lot of F bombs in this.
2: Oh, that's right. You can only get one F bomb in a PG-13. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of F bombs in this one. Yeah, that's right. Oh, there's some nude there's a pretty graphic nude scene. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm, my, my apologies. I just I get we're so inured to it anymore these days.
1: Well, you're absolutely right, and and to be honest with you, if it wasn't if there, if you weren't getting the full frontal off of her, and when I mean full frontal, we're talking like from you know kneecaps up, it, it probably still by today's standards would have been PG-13. And and let me back up, folks. This isn't when I say it's like there's f bombs in there. There's some, but it's not. We're not in the like Goodfellas territory, okay? So it's not like,
0: it's not like
1: that. <laughs> But there, there is some language in this. But anyway, uh, back to my story. I yeah, they took me to the theater because they they wanted to see this movie. Uh, neither of them had ever read the book. They just thought it oh, looks good. I'm telling you, I had nightmares about this movie for weeks. And I'm just like, I, I I'm like, I should have been in therapy <laughs> because <laughs> for this seriously, for this period of time, this movie was um, it was horrifying. I mean, it still gives me the heebie jeebies today watching it. And a lot of it is just because of the way Kubrick filmed it. The music is just, I, I'm getting chills right now. Every time I, uh, think about the music, in fact, I'll even play some of the music a little bit later because I did capture it because good it, it's good, very, good. It's, it's very iconic. It's, and I, I cannot for the life of me think of who the, uh, orchestra, orchestra, what do you call it? The classical musician. It, it's classical music. Yeah, the composer. Thank you. Like I said, gotta put this drink down. <laughs> I can't. Rem- I can't think of who it is. I tried to look it up prior to the show, and I probably should have looked it up a long time ago, and I didn't. But when you hear the music, it's, it's very haunting, and it's just. um It's very iconic to the movie. It's one of those now where it's like when
2: you hear. Oh, the- oh, it's Bella Bartok. Oh God, Bella Bartok. Is it, is that what it is? Yes, it's Bella Barta. Let me just tell you, I worked for the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra and one time we did Bella Barta. And the only good thing I can say about Bella Barta is if you want to know what an orchestra sounds like if you throw it down a stairwell, <laughs> go listen to Bella Barta. I, I, I suffered through that. Uh, yes, it, it is perfect for the movie, but do not buy his music unless you want to know what a, Orchestra sounds like getting pitched down a stairwell. Wow, he's not one of my favorites, but for this movie, you are right.
1: Excuse me, and and we're actually jumping way ahead of soundtrack, but you know, I can't help. Yeah, I know everything's actually. You know what? This is Muncie's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the movie. Back to the movie. So anyway, it's uh, it's very haunting music. Uh, Probably the only other movie that really creeped me out worse than this was The Exorcist. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. If, that, if that gives you any indication, now maybe by today's standards, this movie won't scare anybody. Depending on what your generation, but you got to remember, when I saw this, this was 1980. I think up until that point. In fact, even then, I hadn't even seen The Exorcist yet. Hell, I don't think I even saw that movie until I maybe got to college, because I heard about how scary it was and that. And you know, my and it was put this way. That is the only movie that actually scared the shit out of my father, and nothing scared my father. So. That I thought, okay, well, fuck, I ain't watching it. <laughs> I'm like, if dad's scared, I ain't Mm-mm. watching it. So,
2: so give them the plot synopsis because I don't know if a lot of people have either read this book or seen the movie. I, I doubt it,
1: right? Uh, well, the plot is, uh, fa- well, here's the IMDb uh, summary a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where an evil and spiritual presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees. sees Horrific forebodings from the past and the future. So, I mean, that's kind of decent, but really the, the real in-depth background of this is uh, there's a hotel up in Colorado. It's called the Overlook Hotel. And during the winter, it shuts down because it's, it's, it's in a very remote area. There's only one road, I guess, that gets in there. And when they get these horrible winters, uh, because, you know, back then we didn't have global warming. It was the new ice age. So, you you couldn't get through, kind of like now, you couldn't get through to the to the hotel. So, they basically just shut it down during the winter. They shut it down in November and they open up in like April or something like that. So, what they do is every year they get a new caretaker to come and take care of the hotel. And Jack Torrance, who is uh, played by Jack Nicholson, gets hired to do it. And he brings his wife, Wendy, and their little boy, Danny, with them. And they stay there uh, for the whole time and... You learn about when he's during the interview, they kind of talk about the one guy, um, uh, who prior to him, uh, or several years prior to him, uh, was taking care of it. And at some point during the winter, um, suffered a breakdown and slaughtered his family and he blew his brains out with a shotgun. And, and they just kind of attributed it, it was like cabin fever. They says, you know, when you're just completely isolated out from everybody, you know, some people just snap and that's what they attribute it to, but there's more to it than that. As as you start to find out through this movie, and well, we can kind of get into a little bit more. I I, I want to kind of bring up the fact that this movie is a lot different. If you didn't read the book, I shouldn't say a lot different. It left out a lot.
2: Did you read the book, Mark? I did not. This was not one of the King books I've ever picked up and read. So, but I I understand what you're saying that, and I think that that does occur. There are scenes in the movie, and we'll get into this that are in the movie that don't make sense unless you read the book.
1: Right. And one of the things, there's there's actually two movies that were made. In fact, Stephen King is basically on record saying that he really did not like this version. Uh, as a matter of fact, he hated it. He didn't like, um, he did not like Jack Nicholson for the part. What he wanted to portray was just this kind of average guy who... Is a recovering alcoholic, is really kind of down on his luck, and he's trying to, you know, kind of pick himself up and, and, and pick his family up with him. And he he felt Jack Nicholson already looked insane, mm-hmm. which is true, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, because Nicholson I think just came off of playing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest maybe about five years earlier, and I've seen that movie. And then you watch this one, you're kind of like, hey, he doesn't look a whole lot different. He still looks. As, as Mark Ruffalo said in uh, the Avengers, uh, like crazy, like a bag full of cats. Yeah. And, uh, and he and really, if
2: there was smell of vision in this movie, you would have smelled crazy coming off of him.
1: Yeah. And it's exhibited pretty early on. And it's not like he, he just, he just looks crazy. Like I said, Mark brought it up early. I mean, those eyebrows. I mean, when he arches up those eyebrows, he just looks nuttier than a shit house rat. <laughs> so, I mean, I could see that, and and King wasn't happy with that. He didn't like Shelley Duvall uh, for the role, uh, and neither did Kubrick uh, for that matter. So I'm not sure who was involved. Neither did I,
2: for that matter.
1: Well, I'll I'll be honest, and let's jump over there. It might as well get into the actors, and let's start with her. I thought she did a fantastic job. I don't think I've ever seen somebody who literally looked completely worn out. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen somebody actually, she looked like she literally had been crying throughout the whole movie. And when Jack finally goes over the deep end, ladies and gentlemen, you will never see anybody actually look truly terrified like she did. I mean, she really looked like she dumped a load in her pants during a couple of those scenes. When he's, when he's coming through the bathroom door with the axe, she looked truly horrified. Like, this wasn't an act. I mean, that did not look like it was acting. And I, I thought she was fine. I mean, I've, God, I I think about the only other thing I ever saw Shelley Duvall in was Time Bandits, and she just had that little bit part with John Cleese. So I, I really don't have a benchmark. I never really seen her anything. I mean, you, you knew who she was. I mean, everybody knew her from what? She played Olive Oil and Popeye, but well, I'd never seen that. But, I mean, I thought she was fine.
2: My view on her is, yes, when I, I will grant you the terror scenes, I think she does... She does that very well. Everything leading up to that, I felt like she was just reading the cue cards and shuffling around. She just didn't have any personality, and maybe that's what they wanted out of her, but I just found her acting to be very forgettable. Um, Yeah, she did the horror and the shock when when Jack is going crazy and coming after her. You're right. I thought she did that fine. I just got tired of her monotone delivery and literally looking like she was staring at the cue cards and reading them for the first half, two thirds of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, the young man, well, little boy at the time who played Danny, um, who never acted before, was probably stacked up equally as well against Jack Nicholson. Um, versus her uh, she she was the boat anchor in this movie I just I didn't find her um, portrayal or her acting um, beyond the last third to be uh, memorable in any sense and I thought it was painful on a few occasions watching her um, especially at the beginning when she's interacting with a little boy and they're heading up to up to the uh, to the to the lodge it just... It was painful for me to watch her, but that's me. I'm not a fan of her. I haven't seen her in a lot of movies, but this one I, I can understand why Stephen King or Jack Stanley Kubrick did not, were not pleased with her performance. And real quick, jumping back to something you mentioned about one reason with Stephen King not being happy with this movie in your writing was not at all. And I think that he and Kubrick really didn't talk after this, but I think part of that could be because in some ways this is semi-autobiographical for him king had been is a, was recovering this was all very raw to him and this book was kind of written when it was came out of his head when he was at a lodge like this and he had been recovering so i think maybe he was more personally invested in the story and this is just my opinion i haven't read this anywhere so he took greater offense at Kubrick's re-direction of the Jack character. And in the miniseries that came out, what, the late 90s? It was like 97, yeah. That was pretty much word for word right out of the book. Absolutely. And
1: and, and folks, they're both good in their own, in their own right. right. I mean, this movie is a standalone movie. It's one of those things where I was fortunate enough to actually see the movie or unfortunate to see the movie at my tender young age at the time, <laughs> but I, I saw it. Then I read the book, and it's like, okay, th- yeah, the book's a lot. There's a lot more backstory. The miniseries, extremely well done. Again, one of those movies that Stephen King. One of those movies that Stephen King had a, I think a, a lot of involvement in. As a matter of fact, he actually does a cameo in the movie, and they really do get involved into the fact that. Jack is a recovering alcoholic and it's not one of those where he's, you know, I'm, I'm off the booze. I mean, it's like every day for him is. It's a, a fight. Strong, yeah. Every day is a fight for him. And, and it really starts coming out. And the guy that plays, um, not to get off too off topic, but the, the guy that plays Jack, uh, in Jack Torrance in, uh, the miniseries is, um, oh Christ, what the hell was his name? Jack Weber, I think he was, he was a dude from Wings.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: he was the, He was the smart brother from Wings. I think he was the dumb brother. Was he? Okay. I don't. Trying to remember it. It, 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 it,
1: He was the blonde haired guy or the blonde cur. And, and he has more, much more of that every man look about him. Yeah. He didn't, he just, he just looked like an average normal guy. He didn't look like he just flew over the cuckoo's nest. If you get my drift. And, and that one too. And it also has Rebecca de Mornay. You stole my heart. She's in that. She plays, she plays Wendy and it's, and it was good. I mean, it, it's a very good, solid movie because you, it's pretty much like Mark said, it's, it's word for word for the book almost. Yeah. Uh, but back to this one, and you're right, Mark, and I, I don't, and if that's what your read is, I think it's a pretty good one because that was something that I did read and, and about, um, not in the IMDB trivia, but, um, on other sources that, uh, Stephen King really did not like the fact that there wasn't enough brought out about one of the reasons that Jack really was kind of descending into madness was, you know, the, the, it was the booze. Right. You know, he he really was fighting the alcoholism, and they don't, they didn't really play it up enough. I mean, they did a little bit, but the other thing too, I will agree with you this much. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Shelley Duvall. I'm not a fan. I shouldn't say I'm a fan at all. I, I, like I said, I've
2: seen her in two movies,
1: but I will agree with you. Uh, the little boy that plays Danny, I can't remember what the hell is his name, Danny something or other. It's the only thing he's ever D- been in.
2: Danny Lloyd was the actor. He played Danny yeah. Torrance. Yeah, Danny Lloyd. He he was great.
1: I mean, for for a kid who for the first time he's ever been in front in front of a screen, and you're up and you're up there with, uh, uh, you know, because Nicholson was. I don't know. Was he? I wouldn't say he was legendary yet, but I mean, he was definitely making a name for himself at that point.
2: Oh, so, easily. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he had I mean, done Chinatown. He had done one oh, yeah. for the Cuckoo's Nest. So yeah. he was. He was one of those sought-after actors to, to be in your movie. And there are some great scenes. There's the one where Jack is in bed and Danny comes to get his fire truck, and they're sitting on the bed. And it's a creepy scene, and Jack's still trying to hold on to his sanity, and then you find out the backstory of why Danny has some issues with Daddy. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this kid is hanging with Jack Nicholson, and you believe he, I mean, this is not, this kid is not the Anakin Skywalker <laughs> of actors, okay, of kid actors. Uh, wow. Star Wars reference there. Wow. Uh, we know what Lucas didn't
1: steal from this movie. He didn't steal Danny Lloyd.
2: <laughs> he should have. But I think he was a little old for the movie. Yeah, But, yeah, he, Danny Lloyd does a very good job of playing an odd child because he has this shining ability. And we'll talk about why the movie is called The Shining when we get to Scatman Crothers. But this young man has probably a good third of the movie to himself in a lot of these scenes
0: mm-hmm.
2: where he's got to carry the movie. And I think he does a fantastic job of portraying a little boy who has baggage at a very early age and an interesting talent that Scatman Crothers identifies with. Mm -hmm. He's up against some seasoned actors, and this is his first role, and he does a fantastic job of what could easily have gone into parody or painful scenes of, okay, here's the little kid. You really believe he's frightened. He is dealing with things that are way above him. Meanwhile, Mommy and Daddy aren't doing well. And he's trying to cope with all of this, and he sees and knows stuff that he can't communicate to his parents.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: one thing to kind of
1: dovetailing back to the Shelley Duvall comments too. But when you really think about it, uh, this movie really revolves around two central characters, Jack Torrance and Danny Torrance. She's really kind of a third wheel, supporting actor in this because it's mm-hmm. really not about her. I mean, she's yeah, I mean, she's got a lot of role, but. The two central people that you're really dealing with is, is Jack Nicholson and Danny Lloyd. Those are your, those are your two main people in this movie.
2: Yeah. What did you think of Jack's portrayal?
1: I thought, see, that's the thing. I thought it was really good. And and I'm a, I'm a big Jack Nicholson fan. I love movies that he's in. I, I always enjoy the guy. I just think he is a, he is a very talented actor. I think he's very unique. He has a tremendous range which I think at that time, I mean, he was playing certain roles, kind of like, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, this. There's a certain crazy look about him. But then you started seeing probably in the last maybe 10, 10 to 15 years, I mean, you you saw him doing a lot of like comedy stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's um, there's one movie that I actually sat and watched with my wife, believe it or not, and I can't believe I'd ever say it on the Man Cave Movie Review podcast and come think of it, you know what? I won't. I will not soil <laughs> the integrity of the show by bringing up the movie I saw of him in that I watched it with my wife. But anyway, I I just think he's a fantastic actor and I've always liked him. I liked him in this role. I understand where Stephen King is coming from in terms of, I, I, he didn't want him for the role. In fact, I think in the trivia that I read, and we're going to get in some of the trivia, not all of it because it's like,
2: it's a tome of stuff uh-huh. on this one. So I, there's I, some books written about this movie.
1: Yeah. It's there. It, well, Kubrick is, is just amazing, you know, an amazing director. Uh, so I picked out some of the good ones, but I think Kubrick actually said that, um, who should have been, he was, I think he was talking about John Voight and then somebody yes. else. And I can't remember. There was somebody else that he thought would have been, which I think really was in line with what, um, <clears throat> excuse me,
2: what Stephen King wanted,
1: you know, because, you know, not not John Voight. Was it John Voight?
0: Yeah,
2: it was Voight. Voight was one of the people he was looking at.
1: Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that's. And
2: I don't recall who the other one was. There was someone else.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, there was one other person. I cannot remember who it was.
2: And, and I'm like, I enjoy, I mean, Nicholson is iconic. This is one of Nicholson's iconic roles. And I think he does a very good job of portraying someone who is tortured and is descending into madness for whatever reason. And I, we'll get into some of the issues we may have with this movie about plot. But his portrayal, of a tortured individual who is really trying to keep it all tied together and restart his life, I think is very well done. And he's he's almost a dichotomy because when he's around his family, he's this very morose, sour, not very nice in some occasions person. And then when he's with Lloyd, the bartender, he's almost an obnoxious drunk. And, I mean, he's supposed to be. He, I wouldn't say
1: an obnoxious drunk.
2: He's, he's just... Yeah, I,
1: loud, I, I, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, loud, brassy, that that type of thing. Yeah. But and it's, but
0: he's
2: he's supposed to be. That's not a bad thing, right, right, right. And it really does work. No, I and I think his eyebrows alone could have received um, a best <laughs> uh, best actor in the Academy Awards because those eyebrows and his hair have their own sense of acting range in this movie. But yeah, I thought he did a fine job. I mean, it's Jack Nicholson at his best. This and probably One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and um, Chinatown are three of his best movies he's ever made. Right. And then Scatman Crothers, I liked. I liked Scatman Crothers. I enjoyed him in this movie. I thought he played a very sympathetic role. Uh, He dies badly. But I thought, again, Danny Lloyd, who plays Danny Torrance and. Scatman Crothers, who plays the cook for the, for the, um, lodge. There are some really affecting scenes there where he's, he, he understands what Danny, Danny's talent.
1: Mm -hmm. Because they both have it.
2: Yeah. The Shining, which that he, the Shining is based off of for folks who don't know why it's called the Shining is that's what Scatman Crothers describes their ability to, I don't know what you want to call it, be empathic or telepathic.
1: It's like telepathy, but they can also see things that happened in the past and in the future. So it's, yeah. it's like a psychic type of ability.
2: And his mother, Scatman Crothers mother also had it and called it and said, grandma, that's right. said, you shine. Yeah. So they yeah. connect early in the movie that way. He plays an important role in wrapping up the movie. I, you don't see enough of Scatman Crothers and I really, I enjoyed, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed him in his role. Not, he didn't do any. He didn't do anything great as an actor, but he just played a very solid character in the movie.
1: And I'll tell you what, I like that guy. I, I, it's one of those things where it's like I, I, you know the name, but I couldn't tell you what the hell I've ever seen him in. And I don't think he was mostly an actor. I think he did. He was uh, like a, a musician. I think was really kind of his real calling. But I love that guy. I mean, he just. I mean, you just felt the warmth off this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just a very warm, approachable very like tender, caring type of person. That's uh, another thing too, you know, that uh folks spoiler, but he doesn't die in the book.
2: He, Most yeah. there's not a lot of violence in the book.
1: Well the thing of it is is that in the book the only person that dies is Jack Torrance.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: He's the only one that dies.
2: Doing the right thing at right. the end.
1: See, and that's just it. In the book and in the miniseries, it's more
2: himself. Yeah,
1: he redeems himself in the end, but Goes out with a bang, so to speak.
2: Now, another actor that people may be, a, will know of if they have been involved in one of our previous reviews, who I really like in this movie, is Joe Turkle, who plays Lloyd the bartender.
1: There you go. I'm glad you brought him up.
2: Or also known as Mr. Terrell from the the Terrell Corporation from Blade Runner.
1: You know, it's amazing what a pair of Coke bottle glasses can do to change your face. <laughs> Isn't and it? a big white poofy robe. Yep. I mean, it literally was years. Cause I mean, th- those are the, actually I saw Joe Turkle in one other movie, which is actually not a bad movie. It's called Dark Side of the Moon. It's, it's low production value, but the story and the plot is really good. And it's, it's sci-fi horror. So it's one of the, I, it may be streaming on Netflix. So folks, if you want to see Joe Turkle in a, uh, a sci-fi horror movie, that's actually pretty good. Don't, like I said, it's not. Don't don't ask for like alien level stuff, but Dark Side of the Moon, check it out. But I've only seen him in those three movies because uh, he's, I think, mostly like character actor.
2: You you may have seen him in two other movies, but he was a very small part in both of them. What was that? Was in in Kubrick's Paths of Glory. Oh God, that's been years. I was. He plays one of the privates, and then he was in the Sand Pebbles.
1: I don't think I've ever seen Sand Pebbles.
2: Oh. That's, that's an excellent movie. Okay. I have to look those up. Excellent movie. But yeah, he's, he was not in a ton of movies. But, you know, I think his most iconic role was probably Terrell in Blade Runner. Oh yeah, Dr. Terrell. But he plays the bartender in this movie and he's creepy.
1: Yeah, he has got a, um, an eerie
2: presence about him. And And part of it is his face. It's rather cadaverous.
1: Yeah, he's very, he's very lean, angular. Like Mark said, very cadaverous face. And and it's like the way that scene is shot. This is just one of those you know episodes where Jack is he just got into a big fight with Wendy and he like staggers into the into the uh, the gold room. It's like the early gold <laughs> ballroom and it's it's empty. I mean he sits down at the bar and he kind of was rubbing his face and he just kind of looks smiles and he said, "Hey, Lloyd, kind of slow tonight." And all of a sudden the camera switches and there's this bartender standing behind the bar and the whole back of the bar is filled with booze. And I think this is like the first part of the movie where you're starting to go, okay, is he hallucinating or is this really a ghost?
2: Are there two hotels here now? Yeah, exactly. Is is one bleeding into the other? Because they make a point early in the movie to reference that all the booze is carted out of this place. Right. That there's no booze and there's no one else in the hotel but the Torrance's. Right. When he looks up and says, Hi Lloyd he knows Lloyd that's the other thing
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff that is implied in this movie that is from the book that you I think uh, Cooper maybe maybe thought well the people that are coming to see this read the book so they'll know some of this stuff which again I didn't and and again folks you don't have to read the book to appreciate this movie for what it is you just go in there and just this is just gonna be a straight up good horror flick. And I guess you'd call it a horror movie or a scary movie and there's like I said it's not like there's shit jumping out at you it's not that type of movie it's more of an eerie movie
2: yeah it's more of a gothic suspense movie yeah it, it's not it's not saw it's not Halloween you're right it's it's very much mood it, it it's evocative of Your skin kind of crawls and it's one of those where you get that feeling of is somebody watching me?
1: Yes. Yes. Excellent. Wait. That's a, that's an excellent.
2: And part of that, and we'll get to the photography, but part of that is also what I consider another character in this movie, Steve. And it's credit to the, to the photographer and to Kubrick is the Overlook Hotel is its own character in this movie. Yes. The way it is shot and the, the rooms and the way they are used give you this feeling that this place is its own entity. Yep. And they even talk about that in the movie.
1: What I enjoy, and, you know, for people of our generation, you almost kind of miss that. The 70s, very early 80s, just crazy colors, designs all over the place. You know, like the, <laughs> like the, the, the some of those carpet patterns on the floor were just like, wow. That's awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. just it and, it, and it really did kind of pull me back to that period of time because, like I said, I was thirteen when this movie came out, so I remember that. So I'm looking, like, I'm like, man, I've been in hotels when the carpet looked like that, and it's, it's like. <laughs> You know, look like <laughs> look like somebody had a bad acid trip
0: when they did <laughs> that.
1: So, but it, it's just cool because it's just very, uh, I mean, just looking at Danny's hair, I'm like, I had hair like that.
2: <laughs> just, yeah.
1: Just put a bowl on my head and cut around the edges. And cut you're around like, the
2: go. edges. Oh, mom missed a spot. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, and, you know, the gold room in this movie, folks, it's gold.
1: Oh, yeah, it's real gold. Yeah, it's, it's about as gold as you can get. Yeah. And there's a lot of red. Everywhere there's red.
2: And And I think obviously that's deliberate.
1: Yeah, it was deliberate. And the one thing I I remember, and I actually have this in my notes because I thought when I was watching this movie for the show and getting sound clips, I was cracking up because I still remember the one, the one warm feeling that I had when I was sitting in the theater, uh, trying to control my bowels and bladder watching (laughs) this movie was damn, that kid is so lucky to be in this gigantic hotel and has a big wheel and he just, I mean, and there's scenes where he is just zipping all over the place on this big wheel, and I'm thinking, you lucky little bastard.
0: I mean, <laughs> I would
1: have killed to have had that because, I don't know about you, but growing up, I had a big wheel, and that was the greatest thing in the world.
2: That was before my time. Oh, my gosh, those were great. Oh, I loved having a big wheel. It could, well, and you could just take off in that thing. Oh yeah. I think it was a low rider too. It was
1: this yeah, it was basically it was it was basically a little kid's chopper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And you and I'm thinking, man, and on those on that, you know, that that carpet when he would be tooling on there, and I mean he and you could see he's moving. I mean, he's mm-hmm. having a good old time. And uh great work on the steady cam, is what I have to say there.
2: You know, the tracking I, shots in this movie yeah. are unbelievable.
1: You know, let's just talk about since we're going there, let's just talk about the cinematography and the, and, and the photography it is, it is literally breathtaking, some of the scenes. As a matter of fact, the very opening of the movie, uh, with the, uh, really creepy, scary music, the, the scenery that you see is, is breathtaking. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you see that countryside and it, it just blows your mind. It's like, my God, that, that's just gorgeous country out there. Right. Um, you know, as they show when they're driving through the, the mountains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the tracking shots, I mean, fantastic stuff.
2: Because it's low. You are literally, and they, the way they did it, I think they used a wheelchair behind mm-hmm. Danny, is you're following right behind him. And this is 1980 before you have steady cams and all of the technology we have now that make it ho-hum.
1: Actually, I, they did have the steady cam at this point. In fact, the guy that invented it was filming this.
2: Oh, okay. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me on that. Yeah. But it is, its is. They're following him around. And the the thing I like about this movie, unlike most horror horror genre movies, is most horror genre movies are in the dark and in tight quarters. Right. You never feel that in this place. And in some ways, that works better because, yeah, there are hallway shots and there are long tracking shots down these hallways, And then you turn a corner and you wonder, okay, is it going to be around this corner or is it going to be around the next corner when Danny turns the corner? But you never feel claustrophobic. And in some ways that's scarier because it is so open. So you don't know where or if something's going to appear. Right.
1: And those, and those shots are great. You know, when he's either on his big wheel or just walking around the, you know, the hallways and stuff like that. And, you know, and I thought about that too. It's like, well, this little kid's just pretty much in this hotel by himself. I'm, I'm thinking, God, if I was a parent, and maybe it's how it was back then, cause, I mean, I guess my mom and dad just let me do whatever I wanted to do, but I thought, you never know, I mean, it's a big hotel. And all of a sudden your kid's like, where is he? Well, it's going to take a while to find him for <laughs> this big ass hotel. I mean, a kid could be anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, it's not, it's not the Motel 6. It's like, it's a, it's a place is a flipping resort.
2: Imagine so. Great Wolf Lodge or any big lodge or any yeah. big hotel. Yeah. And and don't go to Room 237. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No.
2: Mm, that That's one of my peeves. That We'll get to that. But the photography in this movie, you're right, is it really does. That and the music help drive your that tingle up the back of your spine.
1: Right. And... Like you said, the the you know the music was was a big part of it. We'll talk about it when we get to the soundtrack, but I've got to give Kubrick a lot of credit, and he was known as this just like anal retentive, compulsive. You know, you got to take you know 150 takes of everything, and I mean, I guess he used to just drive people insane because he could never, you know, it was never good enough for this guy. Which I guess I can understand. I mean, I've seen some Kubrick stuff, and it's it's good and then sometimes it's like okay that's really bizarre but this is i think this is his finest work my my personal opinion i mean i've seen a bunch of uh, of kubrick movies and i still think this is his finest one let's jump over real quick and talk about soundtrack because <clears throat> excuse me that is really what sets this movie apart i think from a lot of others is the the music really fits it and we've talked about that before where music really or, or the score of a movie really fits with the music. And this one here, um, like Mark said is, I mean, it's not, it's not something that they had somebody go out and write. I mean, this is a, a, a Hungarian composer. Uh, what's his name again? Bela
2: Bartók.
1: Bela Bartók. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I've heard of him and this is about the only thing that I've ever heard from this guy. And it's very haunting. It's very creepy. It totally fits this movie. As a matter of fact, this is one of those scores that when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's the the soundtrack from The Shining. Well, it's not really a soundtrack from The Shining. It's a composer that wrote it back in the whenever. But you immediately attribute it to this movie. Kind of like when I hear Wagner's uh, Valkyries, I I immediately think of, you know, Robert Duvall in a helicopter going, Charlie, don't surf. (laughs) You know, that's... That that's what I that's what I think of. So I mean, there's certain things, even though it's a classical piece of music, when it when it's attributed to such a classic movie, that's what I tie it to, and that's what I hear this. So if I ever hear this, which you don't really hear this. In fact, I don't Mm -hmm. think you have too many. I don't think you have too many symphonies going. We're going to do this one because I think people start Mm -hmm. screaming. It's really creepy. And you know, while we're talking about that, I'm just going to play. A little bit of the music for those folks who have never heard this music and have no idea what we're talking about, but this is the actual opening intro to The Shining, and, and they played this and then other parts of it throughout the thing. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now just so you can kind of get an idea of of what we're talking about. I'm shaking the goosebumps off me as we speak. Because, I mean, that music literally just, just gives me chills up my spine. As a matter of fact, i got to turn around and make sure that we will Okay, good. All
0: right.
2: And, 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 you know, the thing is, they, they kind of overlaid some of the, I don't know if it was strings or people making those ghostly sounds. Yeah. It could have been real cheesy, but it's, and in many other types of movies, that really would have, you would have been going, oh, that's corny. Yeah. Here, it really works. and the music is so affecting not effective affecting on you in this movie and it it drives your creep factor there's no other way i can describe it and it is it, it is, i'm like you there were times when i'm watching the movie and i know nothing's going to happen in this scene but Kubrick is ratcheting up your tension, and I would I'm like you, I would get goosebumps because of the, the the music and the tension, and you're wondering what's gonna happen and when. And to that end, there were a few times where I thought, okay, if we go too much longer, you're gonna lose the audience. And Kubrick, being a very very good, one of the best directors, knew when to move the move the scene on. Right, without dragging it out mm-hmm. and leaving you going, okay, I know something weird is going on, but what and when? And that that music just drives drives you up the tension level in your mind, going, what what's going to happen and when? Right, and th- and that's what's really effective about this movie is he's slowly ratcheting you up, so you start to feel this sense of isolation and this sense of probably a, a touch of what torrance's jack torrance's character is feeling of uh, going slowly going a little crazy here we're 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 going to go into cloud cuckoo land here
1: <laughs> yeah and you're right he does a very good job of that because it is a gradual descent into madness for for jack torrance yeah and they and they do a good job of showing it over a course of time because when they get up there it still it hasn't started snowing yet and then it starts snowing then it starts snowing. And, and then it's
2: snow and it's fun snow. And yeah, it's then it's fun snow. Up. It's
1: like, let's go throw snowballs. Next thing you know, it's like, I can't get out the door. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's covered with snow. So.
2: And there's so no, inter- there's no interwebs now in, in 1980, folks.
1: Right. And that's the thing. I mean, you got to remember this is something of, for those of us of our generation. I mean, we knew that there, there wasn't internet. I mean, there was, there was no cable. I mean, you had uh, a TV with rabbit ears. You know, your, your connection could get really bad. I mean, if it started snowing like that, you basically didn't have TV. You had a radio, uh, you had books, and then that was pretty much it. There is definitely a big cutoff from a certain generation on, uh, and, and my daughter's probably one of those. I mean, I, I've talked about that before with hers. I says, you know, you, you are a completely different generation. I mean, what I know compared to what you have. I mean, they can't, right. My daughter cannot comprehend the fact that just the idea of a phone, a cell phone, let alone the smartphones that is pretty much just a computer that has a phone with it. I, I mean, to me, at 13, that, that that's freaking science fiction. That was science fiction. That, that, yeah. man, that doesn't exist. That's never going to happen. I mean, yeah, we'll get that when we have flying cars. I'm still and, waiting
2: for my flying car.
1: No, we're head. all waiting for our flying cars. God, wouldn't that be great? And, you know, By the time we get flying cars, they're not going to let us fly because we can't see. <laughs>
2: We'll just we'll just get cybernetic eyes. <laughs> I do eyes. I do eyes.
1: Oh my gosh, we pulled in a James Hong reference.
2: Just eyes. I just do eyes. Ah,
1: there we go. <laughs> right. Oh god, I love James Hong. Uh, I, I I would. I'd take that guy out for a beer or whatever he drinks. I, I mean I would love to just sit and talk to that guy for like two
2: hours. Okay, back onto the shiny. Back
1: onto the shiny. Alright, folks, we're gonna move on real quick to some trivia of this great and fantastic film because there's some pretty good stuff here. And I'm just gonna go over a few things because like I said, there's there are tomes of this thing. So, uh let's see. Uh, I love this part here for the scene in which Jack breaks down the bathroom door. The props department built a door that could be easily broken. However, Jack Nicholson had worked as a volunteer fire marshal in his prior life and tore it apart far too easily. The props department was then forced to build
2: a stronger door. So that's great. Love that. Um, and they had to, they went through like 200 doors <laughs> to get it the way Kub- that's how anal Kubrick was. Yeah. Yeah, imagine it's like you know what I'm holding this damn
1: fireman's axe. Don't piss me off, dude. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Okay, here we go. Stephen King tried to talk Stanley Kubrick out of casting Jack Nicholson in the lead, suggesting instead either Michael Moriarty or John Voigt. So
2: I could see Voight doing this.
1: Moriarty could have pulled it off too. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because he's he's that everyman look.
2: Yeah, but I do. But again, the the thing that makes this movie the signature to this movie is is Nicholson. Right.
1: And Voight could have done crazy better. Voight looks normal, but then he could do crazy. True. Yeah. Uh Let's see. Oh, here. During the filming, uh, Stanley Kubrick made the cast watch Head, Rosemary's Baby, and The Exorcist to put them in the right frame of mind. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> I, mean, I would have been in therapy after <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, it's a triple feature tonight, kids. Holy crap. And I'll tell you what, folks.
1: Here's and I noticed this if because we did Blade Runner uh, way back in the day. And I remember there is the, uh, it's referred to as the happy ending scene. Yes. In, uh, in Blade Runner. And I remember when I saw Blade Runner, I'm like, this looks really familiar. And it was. You know why? Because outtakes of the shots of the Volkswagen traveling towards the Overlook Hotel at the start of the film were plundered, quote, by Ridley Scott with Kubrick's permission when he was forced to add the happy ending to the original release of Blade Runner. So there you go. Knew that. Without
2: one. the Volkswagen and Blade. Without running. the
1: Volkswagen. There you go. Uh, Tony Burton. And if you don't know who Tony Burton is, Tony Burton is, he was uh, Apollo Creed's uh, trainer in Rocky. And then Rocky's trainer in, Apollo, in uh, Rocky 3. So. That's right. That's Tony Burton. Yep. Uh, He had a brief role as Larry Dirk in the garage owner. Uh, He arrived on set one day carrying a chess set in hopes of getting in a game with someone during a break in filming. Stanley Kubrick, who is an avid chess player uh, who had in his youth played for money, noticed the chess set. I love this. Despite production being behind schedule, (laughs) Kubrick proceeded to call off filming for a whole day and engage in a set of games with Burton. Burton only managed to win one game, but nevertheless, Kubrick thanked him since it had been the first time he played against someone that challenging. So, I love that.
2: That just sounds so Kubrick-esque. Yep, pretty much. We're you know, not going to film today because I'm playing chess.
1: Yeah, and Kubrick was one of those guys that's like, okay, what are you going to do, fire me? So, uh, this, uh, and folks, this was voted the ninth scariest film of all time by
2: Entertainment Weekly. So. Really? Cause I don't okay. find it scary. It, I find it disturbing.
1: Yeah, disturbing. I, I guess in a way it's scary. I, there's a difference. Be, I guess you have to define scary movie and it's like, it's not Friday the 13th, but it's... It's not a horror movie. It's not a horror movie. It's more of a, um it's hard to put in the words, but I guess if you, if you, it, it's hard to get that genre. Maybe we'll have to, I'll have to work on that. I'll get with, I'll get with Hollywood and work on a genre it first. Is- yep. Apparently, Stanley Kubrick was so, diple- <laughs> was so displeased with Shelley Duvall casting for the role of Wendy Torrance that he deliberately mistreated her on set in order to get her to better portray the emotionally shattered spouse.
2: <laughs> See? And, I rest my case.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. She was really kind of portraying the, the Wendy Torrance in the book. I, at least that was what I got out of it when I read the book, kind of the mousey, kind of subservient wife, that type of thing. Whereas, like, in the miniseries, Rebecca DeMornay, it's like, I, I never get that impression from her because it's like, you, you think you're going to snap off to her? She's going to kick your ass.
2: Yes. And Shelley and Duvall. Like, like, and you would like that.
1: Goddamn scene. right I would. Thank you, ma'am. Can I have another? Uh, the scene where Jack is chasing Danny through the maze took over a month to shoot. During the shoot, crew members often found themselves lost and had to walkie-talkie out for assistance. Love that! I love that. That's awesome. Uh, last but not least is uh, I'm jumping ahead. This is where John. Or I'm sorry. This is where George Lucas stole uh, from this movie. Uh, the film was shot in the same film studio that was used for Star Wars Episode Five, The Empire Strikes Back. In fact, much of the same fake snow used for this film was used for the Hoth scenes. I have it. There you it. go. It's documented. Lucas stole even the
2: stuff from the snow.
1: Show. He stole snow.
2: I mean, so there, how low do you have to go? I know. So there it is. And, All right,
1: that is it with uh, <laughs> that is it with trivia, folks. Like I said, I zipped through that as quick as I could because there, there's I a think, lot. Yeah, I think, like Mark said, I think they wrote books on this stuff.
2: They, they have, and about the movie and the book, and you know, before we move on, real quick, some of the things that are when you watch this movie that are not explained that. Leave you kind of going, what? Not that there are some things you don't want explained, like how how Jack gets out of the out of the larder, out of the pantry, and the conversation with Grady to get him out of the larder. Okay, Mm so is it a ghost? Is he imagining? But he got out, so something or someone or something helped him. But then there are things in this movie that just you, you just go. Why are they there? Room two thirty seven, and I'm just going to list a couple, and then we can hop back to them. Room two thirty seven is is an example of one. The blood through the doors, the the, the blood avalanche, the blood avalanche, and and then the dog man and the the gentleman in the black tie, appearing to have fellatio, as it were. These are these are things that were in the book that Kubrick put in the movie, but doesn't fill in the backstory of why they're there. Right. And they kind of leave you going, what?
1: Like I said before, I think that's what Kubrick was figuring. Is like, well, you read the book. You know what the what we're talking about here. Uh, Okay. All right. Uh, We're done with trivia, and it is now time to move on to, uh, brother, what you drinking? Tonight,
2: I am drinking a Kolsch Ale. from the Schlafly, say that three times fast, Brewery Company of St. Louis, uh, Missouri. It's a very crisp Kolsch. It's kind of a bit of a lager with a little more flavor than obviously a lager. It's it's a golden, it's an ale, but it's kind of very crisp ale. Uh, it, it's a very nice Kolsch, uh, very crisp, very pleasant to drink, easy drinking. Just a, a, a nice solid beer by the Schlafly Brewing Brewing. Brew, Brew. The Schlafly Brewing Company. Hi, caramba. Um, But it's a tasty little beer. Um, I'm probably going to go back and try some of their other beers. This is the first time I've had one of theirs. And uh, Schlafly Brewery out of St. Louis brews a very nice uh, Kolsch. So um, if you're looking for something a little lighter, a little crisp, uh, try one of these out. You won't be disappointed.
1: I'm having right now. I stopped off at uh, my favorite restaurant and brewery uh, known as uh, Rock Bottom. I mm. uh, Went to the rock bottom at uh, College Park here in the uh, great city of Indianapolis, and I picked up uh, uh, the uh, the brown. How is it this time? It's excellent. As a matter of fact, it's um, starting to become one of my favorites over there. She's doing a lot of brown ales.
2: Well, it's time of year for a good brown ale.
1: Yeah, it's good. I I really like it. I mean, she is uh, she is a a master brewmaster. That, that's kind of like redundant, Master Brewmaster, because actually they're just called Brewmasters. Master, master Master Blaster. Master, wow. And here we go. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it is actually it's great. Uh, I love her. I love her beer. It's great stuff. If you ever get to Indianapolis, uh, go to the Rock Bottom at College Park. Uh, the food's great. The beer's better, and the atmosphere is wonderful. And I can't say enough about this beer.
2: Yeah, if you if you've got a Rock Bottom anywhere, if you've been to them, I know they're a chain, but they brew their own beer, and they you're right, Steve. They make good beer.
1: It's good beer. It's some of the best beer you're ever going to have. Yeah. Uh All right, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You Drinking. So it is now time to move on to our favorite part of the show, clips. And I am just going to start ripping these things off because I got a bunch of them because this movie is a little bit of a clip fest. Number one. Uh, my predecessor in his
0: job hired a man named Charles Grady. as the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. And he had a good employment record, good references. And from what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amuck and... Uh, with an axe stacked them neatly in one of the rooms of the west wing and uh, then he uh, he put uh, both barrels of a shotgun in his mouth
1: and and Margaret was not coming to the show after that
2: <laughs> I mean, it's like he's described, and then, and then we all had PB&J sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh gosh oh god okay. and, and you do see the daughters in the movie both in, in in two different ways, and that's a disturbing scene.
1: Number two, I called this number one sexist comment of the show. Dick, if you're ready to do
2: it
0: now, I think it'd be a good idea if you could show Mrs. Torrance the kitchen while I continue on with Jack.
1: Because you know <laughs> that's where woman <laughs> belongs, right? In the kitchen. So in, the kitchen. in the kitchen. Kitchen. While I show him how to repair the roof.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh boy, I <laughs> can okay how many female listeners did we just lose off the show all two of them <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> maybe one because i know yeah. the other one she's not leaving she's probably <laughs> about to right now <laughs> oh my god i just you know it's funny because i'm sitting there going how indoctrinated that we have become where I, it, that was just in 1980 it was like yeah Show her where the kitchen is.
2: Show the little missus the kitchen.
1: Yeah, show her where the kitchen is. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, nowadays, I'm the one doing all the goddamn cooking in the house because my wife hates to cook. Yep. All right, this is where you first start to see the change in Jack. And so does um, Wendy when she decides to come up and see what Jack's doing while he's working.
0: Wendy, <sighs> let me explain something to you you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me, and it will then take me
2: time to get back to where I was.
0: Understand? Yeah. Fine. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, what the
2: f***? you hear me doing it here when i'm in here that means that i am working that means don't come in how do you think you can handle that
0: yeah fine why don't you start right now and get the out
2: of here well there you go you know and i just have to say that if you ever tried that with the darling lovely and charming mrs michaels It would take her all of 30 seconds to walk over to the gigantic fireplace, (laughs) grab a piece of firewood, and proceed to beat your head in. A statement like that. Oh, man.
1: Okay, I call this one Hi, Lloyd. Hi, Lloyd. A
0: little slow tonight, isn't it? Yes, it is,
2: Mr. Torres What let Hey,
1: that's just kind of, that's the whole creepy scene because, it, it, folks, you, the way it was filmed, because you realize there's no one there, and then, boom, there's somebody standing there.
2: And that scene is where the movie, that's where the second half of this movie starts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, good point, Mark. That's, it's the second half. At
2: that point, you realize, okay, Alice, we have just gone through the looking glass. Yep. And the other thing I thought about with that, you know, the, and you captured it, was Nicholson's laugh. You know what that reminded me of? I thought, well, I've heard that before when he played the Joker in Batman. Yep, pretty
1: much. Pretty
2: much. The same laugh.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, this is uh, what I refer to as sexist quote number two. <laughs>
0: How are things going, Mr. Torrance? Things could be better, Lloyd. <laughs> Things could be a whole lot better. I hope it's nothing serious. No.
2: Nothing serious.
0: Just a little problem with the, uh, old sperm bank upstairs. <laughs> nothing I can't handle, oh, Lloyd. Thanks.
2: What a jacket.
1: I mean, it's, and at, at 13, I'm like, I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I'm sitting here now, I'm like, oh, my God, he called his wife the sperm <laughs> man. Like, and you know what? I should feel bad for laughing, but it's still damn funny. <laughs> yeah,
2: but you're sitting there going, he just said that? Oh, my, oh my God. God. Was, and even... Even Lloyd's kind of look at him like, you're a tasteless SOB. Yeah,
1: even Lloyd gives him kind of an arch-eyebrow. Yeah. And, and I want to point something out, okay? I do want to point out a, a major blooper with this whole bar scene.
2: Huh. Mark, I... I, I think I, I know where you're going. Do you know Go where I'm going?
1: Me. Because he said bourbon. What was put on the bar?
2: Jack Daniels. That's not bourbon, it's whiskey.
1: That's right. All right, just wanted to point that out, so... So Lloyd is not the best bartender.
2: Alright, next one. Next clip. Oh, I call this
1: father of the year quote. I never laid a hand on
0: him, goddamn it. I didn't. I wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head. I love the little son of a bitch.
2: And there you go. You know, that's just the only thing missing is the background music from cops. <laughs> Bad boys. <laughs>
1: Like he's talking to a cop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And touch it. Oh, little bastard. God. What's with the coughs? Turn those lights off. It's it's all her fault. She started it. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Uh, I call this Mr. (laughs) I call this meeting
0: Mr. Grady. Mr. Grady. You were the caretaker here. (laughs) I recognize you. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And uh, then you blew your brains out.
2: That scene is shot in such a disturbing manner. Yep. Because it's in this bathroom with white tile floor, white ceiling, and almost blood red walls. It, it is so. Creepy. And it's the angles. It's like the way it was shot. Yes. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, Number nine. This is when Jack finds out he's always been the caretaker.
0: Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here.
1: And folks, just so you know, the music you hear in the background is not me, like, laying stuff over. That's actually in the movie because he's, like Mark said before, you know, the, the, the... Hotel's coming alive. He's actually back in the 20s.
2: Yeah. And so. and there's always the question of, is Jack reincarnated? Yeah, Does he reappear? Does mm-hmm. this, is this a cycle? They never explain it. There's a whole lot of, as we've said, there's a raft of literature been, or I don't know if literature is too generous of a term, yeah. been written about these things, which I like because there's a lot of questions like that that are unanswered that are okay, that, that make you wonder, is he going crazy, or is the hotel coming alive? Right. And you can go either way on this. It's up to you. Yeah, good point. And just real quick, the guy that played
1: Grady, that was, I have no idea now what his name was. For those of you who um, ever saw uh, the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, he was, um, that was Philip Stone. He played mm-hmm. Delbert Grady, Philbert, Philip Stone, a uh, very, um, I guess, accomplished uh, stage actor uh, in England. Served in the Royal Air Force during the Second World War, and he was in. Uh, he actually was in a bunch of uh, different uh, Kubrick movies. He was in um, uh, The Shining. He was also in Clockwork Orange and uh, Barry Lyndon,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: I've been told is an excellent movie, and I you m- must watch it. I have. I'm putting it in my queue because I've never. I've never seen it, and I've heard it is a, a fantastic movie. But in Indiana Jones: Temple of Doom, he actually played the uh, the British um, Colonel. I believe that was in charge of uh, some.
0: Oh, Indiana at the temple. end.
1: Well, he was there at the beginning too, when they were having the dinner of snakes and monkey brains. Oh yes, and yes, yes, yes. And stuff. That's him. So. And he
2: was that. also in Where Eagles Dare as one of the um, one of the initial commando group. Oh, that gets dropped in and dies.
0: Really? I did not know that.
2: Yeah. There's one we have to
1: talk about. Good movie. All right, uh, number ten. This is, um, this is Jack getting violent.
0: Stay away from me. Please. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Wendy. Stay away. Darling, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. In. I'm gonna bash him right the f in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and at that point, Admiral Ackbar jumped out and goes, That's a trap! <laughs> I'll tell you
1: in what. defense of
2: his sister, it's yeah. a
1: trap! And I'll tell you what, when she clocked him on the head, that's oh. a damn good stunt. Whoever that stunt man was, that dude earned his money. Cause I'm like, watch, I'm like, man. There, there's some, there's some steel involved here, how you didn't break your neck back.
2: Because she pops him and he goes down that flight of stairs.
1: Well, it's, it's, at it the popping, it, you can understand. That's, I, oh, I know yeah. how they do that,
2: but when you but, see. I mean, the, going down the stairs.
1: Oh, yeah, go, that's what I'm talking about. That's, you see this dude and this dude's like tumbling down and it's not like tumbling down the stairs to your second floor room. I mean, he's tumbling
2: down some major stairs. So. Yeah, that's and, pretty... you know the other thing I liked about that scene—it's set up why, because you see this trope all the time in movies where a guy who is healthy, hale, hearty, in fairly decent shape can't chase down an eight-year-old kid, and you understand why later when he's trying to chase Danny down, why he can't catch Danny because she clocked him in the leg too. Yeah, yeah, she... and that's a nice. I, I I like that kind of attention to detail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because otherwise he would have just. He had to grab that kid in, like, three seconds. But, yeah, he, he can't run when, and he probably had a broken ankle. Because if she didn't clock him, I think he probably did it when he fell.
2: Mm, good point.
1: But, you know, so he probably, at some point, either broke his foot or broke his ankle when he fell. Because, I mean, he's really shuffling in, yep. in the scene. So, all right, uh last clip, and this is the iconic clip.
2: Good man.
0: Here's Johnny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep if you've never seen the movie you've seen the scene somewhere yeah and
1: you've seen the picture so mm-hmm. it's it's a classic it's a classic scene so all right folks that's it with clips we are done with that it is now time for us to move on to the uh, man cave movie review checklist all mm-hmm. right number 1 did anyone jump out of a
2: window no yes didn't jump out well, I know where you're... All right. <laughs> there was no glass broken when we came out the window, though.
1: Does that count? See, we have to get this back over to legal.
2: We do need to get that over to legal, but I will give you it for the movie tonight. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, they sho- Danny Torrance got shoved out of a window so he could escape from his axe-wielding, psychotic, possessed father.
2: But no glass was broken. But no glass is broken. Right. So he just yeah. went down this very cool slide.
1: You know what? I bet that kid had a ball. I was like, can I do that again? Oh, you know, with Kubrick, <laughs> with Kubrick doing 50 takes a day, it'd be like, I'm, 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 I'm up with you. You know what? Yeah. Kubrick, I think I need to do. I, I didn't put enough emotion in that. Can I do
2: that, <laughs> that was a pan-back shot. I know, but it was a pullback. <laughs> but nonetheless, Mr. Kubrick, <laughs> <laughs> one more time.
1: All right. Uh, number two, was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? Well, there was only one female role in the movie. Well, actually, there were two, but she was—that was the doctor early
2: on. But we needed Shelley Duvall's character. I'm not saying we needed Shelley Duvall. And you know, you made a point of it. It really is about Jack and Danny, and Shelley's kind of Wendy's kind of a supporting character, but she's that bridge between the two of them. And that character—the character—is important for that tension between father and son. hmm But yeah. No, there was no Liv Tyler moment, I would say. Right.
1: Okay. Uh could the uh the female role be better played by Tani Katane?
2: Not in this movie. Yeah, she's too young. She was only like I think nineteen,
1: maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nineteen twenty. Yeah.
2: I mean, she would have seduced all of Jack's cares away.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. She'd have been dancing on the hood of the snow cat. <laughs> <laughs> well. All right. yep. Number five, did this movie know what it wanted to do? Steve. I, yeah, I absolutely believe it did. I mean, I know it didn't. It did not do what Stephen King wanted it to do. But from my perspective, when I first saw it at the time before reading the book, yes, it did. And even after reading the book, I still look back. It's, it's still a good, solid movie. And it did know what it wanted to do. It got the message across. Yeah, not what King wanted, but it did.
2: So I agree. It provided people with a supernatural gothic style, scary movie without buckets of blood. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it's an adult horror movie because you were starting to see the beginning of the Halloween-esque type of horror genre taking over.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: this, this went against hype. And and I give all credit. We haven't really talked about him. Stanley Kubrick probably is what could be classified as obsessive-compulsive without any problem. But he is, a, he is an incredible director and did an incredible job of, of doing what he wanted to do with the story and accomplishing it. I think there are some hiccups, but by and large, yes, absolutely accomplished what it wanted to do. And it did a, by and large, a very good job of it.
1: Yep. Uh, number six, did George Lucas steal any part of the movie for, for Star Wars? Well, like I said, huh? folks, I covered it earlier in the trivia. I've got it documented. And, uh, there he did. He, he stole the snow from a movie. I mean, wow. Not enough, you can't get an idea. You actually have to steal the physical snow. That's terrible.
2: And as I commented at the beginning of the movie, um, we know where he got Admiral Akbar from. <laughs> Took one look at Shelley Duvall and said, Admiral Akbar, I need to build a character around that look. Oh, Shelley Duvall's really a Bothan. Wow. Well,
1: okay. <laughs>
2: Many Bothan spies <laughs> died for this movie.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, my God, we're all going to hell. <laughs>
2: As long as Lloyd is there serving the
1: booze, I was going to say if Lloyd, if Lloyd's there with the yeah. You know, hopefully it doesn't. Uh, hopefully I don't have Ted Kennedy's glass and has a hole at the bottom. <laughs> That's a, another joke at a time. All right, last and certainly not least, was there a B five reference? And I couldn't if, find any. I looked as well, and there were none. No, I'm not really shocked about that, but. um
2: no, the movie was made in 1980.
1: Yeah, well, I mean we've gotten some from earlier, but uh, that's all right. All right, uh, that's it uh, for the uh, man cave movie review checklist. Let's move on to the uh, the review of this great and fantastic film. Mark,
2: I think that this movie is again we've we've commented on it. I think it's a very good supernatural movie. It, it's very evocative, and that is a credit to Stanley Kubrick as a director and uh Jack Nicholson and Danny Lloyd especially as two of the actors and the set the location of the movie in the Overlook Hotel really provides a a sense of space and location that feels like it is a character unto itself it's not a scary movie it is it is a tingle up the back movie the pacing is very deliberate and i really enjoy that because it ramps it up very slowly to the point where you begin to get very uncomfortable I I don't know if fearful is the right word depending upon your level of fear and what motivates your fear level but it it does it's very suspenseful and it does not devolve into buckets of blood and long stupid chase scenes and people not people doing things for dumb reasons none of that really occurs in this movie and that's a credit Uh, I think it's a very good movie I think I've never read the book, but by and large, it seems to be a very a good translation from a uh, print a movie, and does a great job of uh, providing the the person who read the book with at least uh, a credible interpretation of the of the effort onto film. I do have some problems with some issues that are presented in the movie, such as Room Two Thirty Seven the man pig dog and a couple of other buckets of blood in the elevator that aren't explained that are in the book that are off the beaten path of the movie and don't, I don't think they needed to be there and they leave you kind of scratching your head as to why, because they occur and then they don't reappear and there's no explanation. And as I commented earlier, Shelley Duvall uh, I, I think is well. I I believe very strongly is not the ideal person for the role, and is the weak link in the movie. Uh, Kubrick does a fantastic job, and as we have discussed, the music really does drive this movie um, to a different level that is atypical for a movie of this nature. And the photography is spectacular. Um, that said, if you've not seen this movie, you really have missed a very good suspense movie. It is actually not a bad date movie in some respects. Yeah. Um, if you like your date to kind of grab your arm and hold on and cling to you. Um, I would say if you're going to watch it, get it on a bigger screen TV to get the full effect of scope. And I'm not a, a horror movie fan, and this to me is not a horror movie. So I really I do like this movie. I have not seen it in a long time. I'm glad you recommended it, Steve but all in all i'm going to give it an 8 because of what it did but there are a couple things as i mentioned earlier that that pull it up short from going any further than that if you've not seen this movie you you've missed a a very good kubrick movie and a very good gothic supernatural movie that um that deserves a viewing for a lot of people probably who um are of an age and a generation much younger than us and if you haven't seen I haven't seen it in probably 15 years so I'm glad you said let's do this movie because I really did enjoy watching the movie again and I had and uh, there were a lot of things I had forgotten about this movie so definitely check this out and on my my scale it, it is an eight
1: excellent probably one of my favorite movies like I said if I've got a top 20 this one's in it and it's probably the only if you can call it horror movie that's in that it's this one mainly because there's something about it. I can't really describe what it is. I think there's a little bit of the the nostalgia because I remember, you know, this was probably one of the few movies I actually went and saw with my mom and dad, even though I was terrified and went to therapy afterwards. I'm kidding kidding about the therapy. I really am. But it did. It really did scare the crap out of me. And there's there's not too many movies that really kind of creep me out. But this one still, even at my uh, advanced age, this movie still will creep the hell out of me. And it shouldn't because of its age, but it does. And I don't know if it's because I keep hearkening back to my my childhood when I saw it, but the movie still does give me the heebie-jeebies. And Kubrick, like Mark said, excellent director. Uh, The guy can do no wrong. Uh, God rest his soul. Jack Nicholson, again, another legendary actor. I mean, one of the best that Hollywood, I think, has ever put out. Uh, The guy is just... uh, uh, a great, great actor, and uh, pretty much anything he does. Like Mark said, Shelley Duvall, I, I don't have the same issues that he does with her. I thought she was fine. Uh, could they have put? It's one of those things. Could they have put somebody else in there? Sure, pick somebody. You, I'm sure there was somebody else that could have fit that role just as good as she could. Because of the genre, I'm not a huge horror movie fan. I mean, there's certain movies I like. I'm more of a sci-fi horror guy. I like that kind of stuff. So this one's a little, and that's my genre. If I have to get horror, it has to be sci-fi horror, like kind of like Alien or uh, Pandorium. This one though, it I it's solid. It's it's a pretty solid movie, and I really did enjoy it. And I'm kind of going above and beyond mark. I am going to give this a nine. And for me, for a horror flick, that that's pretty much as good as it's going to
2: get. I mean, you you, you really look like this movie, and understandably so.
1: Yeah, I really do. I really do enjoy this movie. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I take that back. It's well, it is. It's fun to watch, but I, I don't know. I mean, there is something about it. I think it's just a little bit of that nostalgia because you start looking back and it's like you know, I remember the, you know the hairstyles. I remember the clothes that looked like that. I remember the bad carpet look in hotels and stuff like that when I was a kid and going on vacation. So I mean, there was some of that. Maybe that's what kind of draws me to it a little bit uh, of that nostalgia. But it's just a well-done movie, and I don't compare it to the book it, because it's it follows the book pretty much, but it yeah they, it, they leave a lot of stuff out, and that's really what the issue is. They leave stuff out, and I can get through that. It's a good, solid movie. Highly recommend it. If you've never seen it, please go see it. If you're a Stephen King fan, uh, well, if you're not a Stephen King fan, if you are a fan, you would have read this book. But... If you're interested in reading the book, I, I do recommend it. It's pretty good. Stephen King is a great writer. I mean, if you get into that type of uh, uh, that literature, he's pretty good. He's probably about the best they would. There was a point, well, I'm getting off on a whole different tangent there, but his
2: early stuff is really good.
1: The stuff now, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not into it as much, but like his older work is really
2: good. And his early stuff is much better than his later stuff because he, he and Tom Clancy both started to go down the... I'm gonna I, I'm gonna publish by the pound.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point, Mark. I think that's really that kind of sums it up. But um, anyway, not to turn this into the uh, man cave uh, book review podcast,
2: but <laughs> no, no, we'd have to drink tea if we were going to do that. God forbid. What, what? Mm. We could put some rum and bourbon in that though. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. well, then then Ken would be right at home if it's rum.
1: <laughs>
2: Where's all the rum gone?
1: Where's all the rum going? It's at Ken's house.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: gosh. All right, so that is it. That's my review, and that is it for Man Cave Movie Review Episode 81. All right, folks, stay tuned for us. Next week, we're going to be talking about another great horror flick for the uh, month of October, and that one's called From Dusk Till Dawn. So until then check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com also look for us on itunes at Man Cave Movie Review, and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or didn't like it because we can take all kind of criticism we're also on facebook at Man Cave Movie Review, so uh, check us out there and that's the best place to get in touch with us if you uh, have some comments suggestions whatever you want to do Put them there. We're good to go. And also follow us on Twitter at Mancave Cave Movie. So this is it. I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. I am not a dull boy, Slover.
2: Evacnam, evacnam, evacnam.
1: Do you get it? I got a. You go. You know, I've been drinking and I'm not dyslexic. So what? What are
2: you saying? Man Cave. <laughs> <Okay>. Oh, <my laughs> Jesus Christ. It's obscure, isn't it? You know, Red Rum, Vaknamp. Yeah, that,
1: I, I knew you were doing some, <laughs> you were doing some reverse Red Rum thing, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm, my pig Latin is really bad. I haven't used that for a long time. So, all right, folks, that is it. I'm sure other very good friends will be back next week for the show, but uh, until then, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off. Ciao. five by five I believe we are where'd my thing go oh, there my thing? <laughs> I don't know
2: where your thing yeah, went my
1: thing is my thing is right here all right right here all right uh, okay in three two one